Turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We are continuing in our series, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And uh, while you're turning there, I just want to uh, uh, just say, my goodness, last uh, Sunday night at our Life Group launch, uh, we just had a great time. So much energy in the room. And uh, we kicked off our, all of our life groups are going to start meeting again. And, uh, and for really between now and Thanksgiving, each week they're going to be looking at, a, at the passage, uh, the text, the topic that I'm preaching on Sunday by Sunday. So uh, all the adults right now, we're working our way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And I am just really expectant that God's going to do some amazing things through the truth that he gives us. Uh, in Ephesians. And so if you're not in a life group, I encourage you to talk to Christine Scalzo, our connection director, uh, and, uh, and and ask about how to get involved in a life group. We really believe that uh, uh, it's it's worth doing and life goes better uh, when you're when you're really connected here at CCC, even beyond the Sunday morning worship, but in a life group where you really get to know each other's names and uh, and get to do some life together. Also want to just remind you that two Sundays from now, September 29th, uh, we're only going to have one service, the 9:15. So you 11 o'clock people that won't work on that day, okay? You got to come at 9:15. Why are we doing this? Because uh, the last Sunday of this month happens to be Clarkson Taste Fest. How many of you have ever been to a Clarkson Taste Fest? It happens annually. They block off Main Street. They have all kinds of food uh, available and uh, just fun and games and people to kind of walk up and down Main Street and, and there are other things going on there. And what we uh, what they have allowed us to do is tack on. A, a church unity service before the, the Taste Fest begins at noon. So a, a bunch of churches from around town, including ours. Uh, in fact, our own Greg Martin from our church here has kind of initiated that, putting it all together. If you remember the band that uh, Greg Martin had here uh, some months ago that we all love so much, they're going to be the band down there. We're going to meet at 1130 down on Main Street before Taste Fest begins and have a unity service with uh, a handful of the other churches around town. Isn't that exciting? So so the plan is, so what we want you to do is come here, 9.15. We're going to have a regular full worship service at 9.15. I'm going to preach uh, out of Ephesians. And then after that, uh, we'll be able to walk down, those of us who can, uh, make, it, make it a prayer walk, whatever you want. And we're going to walk down to Main Street and, uh, and do the Taste Fest down there, do the unity service down there. And uh, obviously, if you're unable to walk that far, you can take your car and get as far as they'll allow you and, and, and have other plans to get there. So uh, that's two Sundays from now, 9.15 only. So I'm excited about that. So I gave you an assignment last Sunday. Do you remember? And you have it all done, right? How many completed the assignment that I gave you? There are a few, uh, I, I won't say liars out there, but uh, okay, I, I believe you. I believe you. You raised your hand. Okay, so uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, our text today is Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15. Uh, we won't actually take it all the way through verse 23, but we'll start in verse 15. And and the, the assignment was for you to not only read through Ephesians, it's only six chapters long, kind of short, uh, but it was for you to memorize, to, to say every day, make this prayer your own, and eventually over time to memorize this prayer. So I'm sure we all have it memorized now. So let's just all say it together. You ready? Here we go. Oh, oh, hey, hey, you're cheating. You're cheating. Okay, okay, so yeah, so no, put it back up on the screen. Let's say it together. Let, let's read it together. I don't even have it all completely memorized. But anyway, so here we go. This is our text today, and this is a prayer that the Apostle Paul has 
uh, for the church at Ephesus, but also for you and me. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. Let's say it together. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. You can stop right there. So notice the three main things that Paul is praying for. He says, I pray that you might know Him better. I pray that you might know the hope to which He has called you. And I pray that you might have His power. Wow. His presence, His hope, His power. This is what Paul prays for. And we could get off on a tangent and, and talk about Paul's prayers that he prays in Corinthians and Romans and Galatians and here in Ephesians and his other letters. And what does he pray for? And doesn't it make sense that you and I should make that the substance of our prayers too? So I, I encourage you as we move through this uh, Ephesians series to be looking up the various prayers of Paul and make them the foundation of your prayers. Sometimes people will say, Pastor Greg, I try to pray, but I'm just not very good at it. What do I say? Well, how about starting with the prayers of Paul? How about starting with the Lord's Prayer? And, and so you pray those biblical prayers, and then you can springboard from that and apply it to your own life. So let, let's jump into this, and, and let's, let, let's look at what Paul prays for and how we can experience this. Notice, first of all, he says, I pray that, that God may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. You and I can know God better. Do you know God do you really know God? What is your God like? What's His character? What is God? Who is God to you? What's His personality like? A.W. Tozer said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Wow. One of the biggest mistakes you and I make is that when we say God, we're all thinking the same thing. Because, I mean, you don't have to talk to too many people to realize that we have a lot of different ideas of, of who and what God is, if there even is one. So, sometimes I'm talking to people and they'll say, no offense, Pastor Greg, but I don't even believe in God. I don't, I don't even believe there's a God. And, and I like to say to them, well, tell me what kind of God you don't believe in, because chances are I don't believe in that God either. And it kind of sets them back a little bit, and, and we, can, we can have a nice conversation about you know, who is God really? So, do you know God? What is your God like? And how can you know Him better? He, here's, here's what I want you to get today under this first point is, to know God and to know Him better, you don't have to speculate. It's not like you kind of just stick your nose in the air and kind of, you know, put a finger on your face and kind of go, well, you know, I think God must be like this. Or I think God must be like... No, no, you don't have to speculate. What you do, don't speculate. Look at Jesus. You look at Jesus. Remember what Paul says here in, in Ephesians 1. Everything God does is in Christ. Eleven times Paul says in Christ, 
through Christ, in Him. So you want to know God, you need, you need to look at Jesus. Jesus Himself said over in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. If you really know Me, you will know My Father as well. From now on you do know Him and have seen Him. And then Philip, one of the apostles, said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Wow. The audacity of Jesus to say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Philip says, hey, Jesus, we want to, we want to see God. We want to know God, the Father. And Jesus says, just look at me. You've seen me. You've seen my father. This is why I tell people, you only have really two choices with Jesus. You either fall down on your knees and you worship him as Savior, King, and Lord, the true Son of God, or you say he's a crazy man, he's a fool, he's a liar, and you reject him. Those are really your only two options. So many people try to say, well, you know, I think Jesus was a nice guy. He taught about love. You know, so I, I you know, sure, I believe in Jesus. He was a nice. No, 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 no. No nice guy goes around saying the things Jesus said. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. Notice something else that he says here. He, he prays that God will give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know him better. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the Holy Scripture and burns its truth into your soul. The Scripture reveals Jesus objectively, and the Spirit reveals Jesus subjectively, so that the Jesus you see in Scripture becomes real in your own life. And so what you need to do if you want to know God better, you look at Jesus, the Jesus that's in Scripture, and, and, and as you look at Jesus, you learn that's what God is like. And then the Holy Spirit gives you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you know him better. And, and the Jesus you see in Holy Scripture it becomes real in your own life. This is my prayer for you and for me. In fact, would you just bow your heads? Let's just pray right now. Lord, we ask right now that you would give us your spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know you better. Reveal yourself right now to those of us who doubt. Give us wisdom so that we won't fall for foolish things and foolish thoughts. Lord, we want to know you better. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul prays that you and I would Know God better. And then notice he also goes on to pray that we would know his hope. Look at verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul prays that you and I might have hope. Are you a hopeful person? Are you really? You know, we all feel hopeless 
from time to time, right? You know, our, our emotions kind of go up and down, circumstances and, and all that. Maybe we feel hopeless because we're grieving the loss of a loved one. My goodness, that's a good reason to, to feel hopeless. When you, when you lose a loved one and you go through that grieving process, we've all, most of us have experienced that in some way, and, and it, it is so difficult. Maybe we're losing hope because we really expected something to happen and it doesn't seem that it's going to happen. And, and so we're losing hope and, and it really gets us down and we, we're, we feel hopeless that maybe it's never going to happen. And what's interesting, in fact, even alarming, is that more people today are experiencing hopelessness as a long-term pattern. Not just as an up and down thing, but as a hopelessness is a way of life. For many people. How about you? Do, do you really think that life is, is hopeless? There's no reason for hope, really. Hope is a dream. Hope is naive. You expect the worst from life. Life just seems dark and bleak to you. Maybe you even believe in God, but maybe your view of God is distorted. Your God is not like Jesus. You see God as a tyrant. And he's just demanding perfection from you. And, and you can never live up to that. And so God is always upset with you. God is always mad at you. And, and so bad things happen. And oh, see, God is, God is punishing me because I can't get my act together. And you look around, or, or maybe you think God is just far away. And he's, he cares more about other people and more important people. And he doesn't even hardly know that you exist in your puny little life. And well, that's a reason for hopelessness. Or maybe you don't even believe in God. Maybe, maybe you've even taken an intellectual stance to support your hopelessness. In fact, there are people who believe, maybe, maybe you're one of them, you believe that, that if you're really intelligent and you're really educated, then you will realize that the truth is there is no hope. We came from nothing. We're going to be nothing. In fact, we really are nothing, hardly anything right now except these these, these puny little animals trying to scratch our way through life, and then you die. And so you view everything and everybody with cynicism, with, with a critical eye, and you see people as basically stupid and deluded and incompetent. You may even have political views that support your hopelessness. The people in power are all corrupt. Well, maybe they are. I don't know, but... The people, they're, they're all corrupt and they're, they're, they're all conspiring against you and the, the economy is going to collapse and the world is going to collapse and falling into chaos and destruction is around the corner. And Well, in light of all this, how could anyone be hopeful? I mean, think about it. Life is suffering. Life is hard. So many bad things happen to us and it will happen to us. We're all going to get sick and die someday and my goodness, you, you might say the, the real thing is, how could anyone possibly live with hope? Isn't reality pretty hopeless? Paul is saying, listen, in spite of the suffering, in spite of all the, the, the challenges of life, you can live with hope. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance. Wow. God is calling you to hope. Now watch this. Hope, before it is a subjective 
emotion, a feeling inside of feeling hopeful, before it is that, it is first an objective reality out here that God promises you and that God gives to you and He sets before you. The Scripture talks about, about this, this a lot, that there is, there is hope out there. So realize, when we're talking about hope, we're not talking about being naive. We're not talking about closing our eyes and saying, well, you know, I'm going to try and just keep my chin up and try to be a little more positive in spite of all the bad things. No, no, no. Hope is not some fairy tale. Paul says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance. It is an objective reality placed before you. You have an inheritance. You have a future. You have a destiny. And because of this future, because of this destiny, that this real hope, this inheritance, these riches that are set before you, and it's objective and it's real, and God has promised this to you, because that is real, you can live in light of that today with hope. Turn with me to Romans 8. The Apostle Paul talks about this sort of thing in many of his letters, but perhaps the classic passage is over in Romans. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. And look, and look at what Paul says here. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that be, will be revealed in us. Notice, I consider that our present suffering. You see, the Christian faith, the biblical worldview, is so realistic. When it talks about faith and hope and love and all these things, it's not talking about being naive. It's not talking about being foolish. It's not talking about denying reality. Look, look, I consider that our present sufferings. See, there is suffering. And you and I suffer. But he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Anybody frustrated? See, you need to have a biblical worldview. Yes, God created us a good and perfect world with no suffering, no pain. Everything was beautiful and good. But then sin entered the world, and now you and I live in a fallen, messed up world. You and I are messed up, fallen, and sinful, and all kinds of bad things happen. And, and now creation itself is frustrated not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope, we're talking about hope here, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. See, creation itself is in bondage to decay, and, and it's frustrated. You know, when I, when I think of all the storms that are happening, and hurricanes, and earthquakes, and, and all these things that are happening, and cancer, and, and, and just... All, all the, all the bad things that happen, it, it's, creation has fallen. Creation is frustrated. But notice, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning. Anybody groaning? Maybe you're young and you haven't done much groaning yet. Just, just hang on. Keep waking up every morning and the groaning will come whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan. So here he's saying even we who follow Jesus, we Christians, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit. See, the, the Spirit's called first fruits because it's like the down payment. It's the first part, the first fruits of God's promised you this wonderful inheritance, His riches, but now He gives you His Spirit to empower you now, but to give you hope now, and it's, it's the first part of what He's going to give you. But even though we have the Spirit, we still groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And he goes down to talk more if you skip down into verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So you see what, what, what this kind of hope is. Hope and love does not mean that life suddenly becomes easy and you don't have any problems and, and there's no suffering, there's no challenge. No, no, no. What, what, what it is is this hope and this faith, what it does, it makes you more brave. It gives you strength to face the challenges, to endure and persevere through the suffering. It makes you a braver person. This is the hope. This is, this is what, what God offers us. Liberation, freedom, glory, eager expectation, everything being made new. That, that, as we look forward to that, it strengthens us today. Paul says over in Titus 2, we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Matthew 19, Jesus talks about at the renewal of all things. Wow. There's going to be a renewal time. Jesus is going to come again one day and renew everything. Revelation 21, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So our ultimate hope is future. We're going to have new bodies renewed bodies in a new heaven and a new earth and that future hope empowers us to live with strength and perspective and more bravely today but not only that but but he goes on to even talk about the power that we have look at verse 19 he says in Ephesians 1 verse 19 he, so so he says i pray that that God may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that you may know the hope to which he's called you. And then he says in verse 19, and I want you to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Wow. We can live with power. Listen to the power that's available to us. Paul says over in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So salvation power. And then in Ephesians 3, he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love <clears throat> may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So there's, there's power, there's love power. So we have salvation power. We have love power. And then he says in Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self 
created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's mental power, mental strength, purity power. Wow. And then he says over in Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So there's spiritual power against the devil himself. Salvation power, love power, renewing power, overcoming power. This is what Paul prays for you and me. And this is my prayer for you and me. This is my prayer for CCC. That we would come to know him better. That we'd come to know his hope. That we would come to know his power. Oh my goodness. This is for you today.